G'day. Talking about pedagogy with Ryan Shelton, Deputy Principal of Learning at Holy Cross College. This podcast is by teachers for teachers on the art and science of teaching. Holy Cross College is a pre-kindergarten to year 12 Catholic school situated in the metropolitan area of Perth, Western Australia. As an Apple Distinguished School, the college is a global leader in contemporary 21st century pedagogies that are Christ-centered and student-focused. The college's vision for learning allows for all students to be engaged, challenged, and progressing. Well, today's episode, I'm really, really excited to introduce you to um, one of the most talented people I've ever met um, and a great conversationalist. So I'm really looking forward to today's podcast just for the conversation because we've had many of these through the times. Peter Lippman is with me today. Now, Peter Lippman is by trade an architect and a teacher. And so when we talk about tapping into pedagogy, we've got someone here who's got both spectrums of what we like to call at Holy Cross intentional use of space. Contemporary learning spaces are massive in education today and particularly here at Holy Cross. Um, our, our spaces here are the best going around and Peter happened to be the architect for a lot of our spaces and Peter currently is doing some research um, on how complementary spaces are used in vertical buildings and I might get into talk a little bit to that um, throughout the podcast. Um, but Peter also runs a company called Places Created for Learning, um, PCL, and we'll, we'll give it a good plug as we go along today. Um, but what you get in Peter is a great mix of a person that understands learning spaces and the pedagogy required to maximise um, these spaces. So we've got um, a great episode ahead of us today. Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. I don't know how to respond to that. Um, yeah, I would say that um, I'll start with when we think about spaces, they, they, they need to be intentional. Obviously, they, 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 um, most architects, when they're designing buildings, they're not thinking about how not to do something. It's always, what is the current stuff that they're saying? So it is, it is really intentional in how they're trying to make the spaces work. I think that I'll add to that, that notion of intentions, like being attentive to how people might use the space. Because as you, you I mean, as you just plugged me, you know, um, it's, it's, it's understanding that when we're, we're looking at an environment, a physical setting, you know, how will people use it? Where will they go? What will they do in those spaces? And honestly, um, my experience as a teacher has really helped me with that. Whether it was working in the classrooms or whether it was, you know, working with kids outside in yep. the quarter space. Because most of the, mostly when I taught in elementary school, you know, we had very small classrooms. So what we would do is we'd go outside in the quarter and work. And, and, but what nobody tells you is that, you know, we're not bringing everybody out there. We're just bringing <laughs> a small group out in these spaces so that we have an area that we're not on top of each other in the classroom. Um, so it's understanding that if you're going to do cooperative group work, what does that look like? Which yeah. now brings me to my original research many, many years ago was looking at cooperative group research. Okay. And, you know, that has had a major uh, impact on how I think about spaces in general because it's not, we sit around the table just yeah. talking about stuff all the time as a group. It really is more about how we can find a place in the group to do something. So if we're in, in the, my research, they were designing a diorama. 
So they each picked a different aspect of the diorama that they were going to design. And then they worked on it, but they didn't just leave each other hanging out there. If I needed some help yes. from you, I could go to you for some help or some support. So primarily we came up with this idea together, then we worked somewhat separately uh, on it to, to finish up the project. So that knowledge has really helped, not just how they worked on the co-op, how they work cooperatively together, but what happens outside the room was yeah. also important because that's really become the grounding framework for my dissertation, which is you know, looking at the spaces outside the classroom, which I'm referring to as complementary. Yes. Now, most people refer to them as breakout spaces. That's right. And a whole across, we call them da Vinci spaces. Yeah, which is fine. You know, <laughs> we've, got a, we've got this whole vocabulary that we can use, yes. right? Um, and I think it's great. Uh, on, some, on one level, as long as we, it's not really about the name, but more about the use. Yes. Because sometimes we give names to things and then there's no, you know, with that name, something special is supposed to happen. Like when people talk about uh, caves or watering holes. Yes. And it's like, oh, yes, we have a watering hole. And then I go into the space and I go, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, we have a cave, and I'm, I'm looking for the cave, and it's not there. Yeah. And, and, you know, we assign these names, but we really don't understand what they mean. Whereas I know in the Da Vinci yeah. spaces, you know, it's meant to be a space for either a large group to come together, but more importantly for smaller groups to kind of gather and get things done. And when you use the phrase in like a complementary space, are you just defining that as like an intentionally built complementary space? Space, or are we talking about even at the most traditional school in on the planet that's got desks in rows, four walls, no windows, blackboard at the front, that if they opened up their door to outside and started to use that, would you call that a complimentary space? Yes, but but let's 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 let me um, define it in this way, okay? Um, let's start with why I don't call it a breakout space because yes. to me, many schools. Many hospitals and many prisons are designed in exactly the same way. <laughs> now, when you're in a hospital, the one thing you want to do is you want to get out of there and go home, so you're breaking out of that. But more yeah. importantly, if you're in jail, you want to break out and get out of jail and, and never be found again, you yes. know, like The Fugitive uh, on television. Right? <laughs> I love that show. But the idea is that I, I can't be in this space, yeah. and, and there's nothing important. And if you talk to a lot of, you know, talk to high school students, and I happen to have one at home, you know, the last place they want to be in school, so they want to break out of the school, right? Uh, he doesn't. He's actually very good about going to classes <laughs> and things. Um, but I call them complementary, yes. primarily because the idea is that classrooms provide certain things. Yes. The spaces outside should support that, but not provide exactly the same thing you're going to have in the classroom. Because what's the point of designing two things in the same yes. way? So. As that space outside complements the classroom, the classroom also complements that space. Okay, that's okay? the way we're um, So a corridor can become a complementary space. Yep. But if you think about how many of the spaces have been designed here at Holy Cross, they're more common learning areas, right? Yep. Overall, the bigger space, the heart of each building is a common learning area. And within those common learning areas, we've been... Um, you know, I was very conscious about creating these different um, alcoves, small learning areas, niches, places where kids can either work together yep. or work independently. And as I found out recently in talking to staff and also working in other schools, is that many of the kids who go out into these spaces, they remove themselves 
or better yet, they're, they're removing themselves from the distractions that happen in the classrooms, or yeah. it could be the crowding or, or whatever. So the idea is to give students choice, but also to help teachers understand that there are some students, as there are some teachers, yes. who might need to get out of the rooms themselves. And, and one of the phrases you've probably taught me a bit about is the use of corners. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what's the role of a corner, either in a classroom or what is a corner, and why do kids gravitate to those things? Um, years ago, when I started teaching, this is way back in the 90s, yeah. right? Um, I walked into the classroom as a student teacher, and the teacher gave me this book by Elizabeth Hirsch called The Block Book. Okay. Right? 1975, I remember this, right? <laughs> I still have the book. Um, and it talked about the block corner and how block corners should be in every elementary school classroom from the youngest age all the way up to grade six. And I'm not sure if that's in the book or that's what the teacher told me, yes. but she felt that these were great places for kids to work together, to learn about communication, collaboration, mm -hmm. learn math, learn geometry, uh, learn how to work together. So it was not only a place where they could be engaged cognitively, but also a place where they could be engaged socially as well. And looking at that, it just seemed to me that why can't we have corners everywhere? And yes. if you think about early learning centers, I mean, everybody goes, you know, from the MIT building, oh, it should be designed just like an early learning center. On one hand, that's a great metaphor, right, mm -hmm. or simile. I think it's metaphor. Um, metaphor, I think, I, yeah. yeah. you would know. Uh, you're a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean I know everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but, but the idea is that, that you, you want to have a block corner, painting corner, dramatic play corner, um, a science corner, um, um, a building corner, wh whatever yes. it is, an arts and crafts corner. But we also know in most classrooms, you only have about four corners and probably one or two of them you can't use. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a way of creating corners and spaces without, you know, having the already built-in corner, those fixed elements, right? So where two walls come together orthogonally. Yes. Maybe we can use furniture to do this. And while my initial research at uh, the graduate school in New York City looked at these activity settings, which I'll call activity settings in classrooms, are curated spaces, right? Because the teacher will be the one, especially in elementary schools, changing it up over the course of the year. So they will say, I have an area for blocks, I have an area for science, and I have an area for math, etc. And you can use the shelving or you can use chairs or sofas to yep. kind of craft that. Or curate it is a better word. And then kids will come onto it and they'll change things up and they'll make it into something really amazing. Yes. Um, outside, I call them complementary settings because for me, those are more fixed. You can bring furniture in, and in some schools it's so open that you have to bring furniture in yep. to define those areas. The problem is that if it's so big and there's furniture in there, that furniture get, gets moved all the time. Mm -hmm. And we want to kind of limit that movement. So what some schools have told their teachers is that you're not allowed to touch it or they've made it so that the furniture is so heavy that you can't yes. move it. Uh, like and it, we talk about Holy Cross, yeah. we don't have flexible furniture in the sense of wheels to move around. We say the furniture is flexible by how you use yes. it and how you move through the furniture. And and I would, I actually, in in in... That's how I see it. I see the flexibility less about moving furniture and more about you and I finding mm. a place where we can settle into whether I want to stand at a desk or a bench uh, or sit on the floor. It's my choice. The flexibility is yes. in me. And if you think about it, you know, 
I'm not sure you can bend a shelf or a chair, but I can bend and I can stand and I can sit yeah. and I can work with others in a variety of ways. So we want to also encourage that in spaces. But really, what it does more than anything else is that when you position the furniture, when you curate it not to move, or if there's a corner with a seat there, what we're really telling people is we're giving them the cues so that they know when they go to the space, I know that's what I'm supposed to do there. Yeah. As opposed to, gee, this sofa was here <laughs> yesterday, I don't know where it is, um, uh, I don't know where to go. And if we look at the research anyway, when you have these big open spaces where nobody knows where to go, a lot of noise. It feels like it's very crowded. It is chaos. And what we're really trying to do, even in classrooms, and especially in the spaces outside of classrooms, is give purpose to the spaces. That in intention, right? That intent that it will be used by the group of two, three, four, maybe as many as eight, but, but more importantly, I know as a teacher, you can go there, I can see yeah. you, and that's fine. Yeah. Can I, can I ask, let's step back a little bit. Okay. Why the shift in, like, what's, what's led in the change in the research to go from these traditional classrooms uh, set up, you know, square rooms with desks in rows or in pairs or however they get set up to this contemporary approach set up for small group work, set up in a flexible with inverted commas way? Why has there been a change in the architecture? What impact does that do to learning? What have you found? What, what have I found? I find that, that this idea of team teaching or cooperative group work, we've been talking about since the 1950s, really. Yes. I mean, Bruner was talking about this way mm -hmm. back when. So I'm not sure where the innovation is there. I mean, cooperative group work has found its evolution as well. What works best? They found groups of four work really well. I think the, the push with the crafted building is so that teachers don't just close their doors and then you can't see what's going on in those rooms. Um, I think, and I find it very frustrating when I go to some schools and it's like, well, there's no side light or glass in the door. I can't see what's going on. I don't know who's in there. And I think yeah. also from a teacher's point of view, uh, while they may not want people to see what's going on, it's also from a duty of care point of view. You don't want it to ever be like, uh, you know, their word against somebody else's yes. word. Um, so, while in many places the more modern learning environments have moved away from rows of, of, of chairs facing the front, uh, I will interject that that's not everywhere. There are still many places uh, throughout Australia, throughout the world, uh, and especially now with the new designs that I've seen with COVID, you <laughs> yeah. know, we, it's the only difference is, oh, we don't have that chair. We, instead of having three chairs, now we have two chairs because we removed the yeah. one in the middle. I think that it, it's, even with the new modern learning environments, and I've, I've seen, um, whether it's in plan or, or been to them, you know, what's missing within all of that is a true understanding of what happened, what is supposed to happen in the spaces. In the 70s, they said, let's build these warehouse buildings, called them open plan schools. And then you had this complete disconnect because the teacher's like, I've never been in this environment. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Where's the wall? Where's my teaching wall? Where are my kids? They're everywhere. <laughs> and it became this kind of, you know, stressful environment to be in. And what did they do? They built walls up. So yeah. then we go back to the 2000s, right? Go back. From now we're going back to the 2000s, but from 1970s, 1980s, we're jumping forward to the 2000s, yes. where you see in the UK this unprecedented building surge of these big open spaces and what did they do? At, 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 in about eight years' time, many of those early elementary schools, walls went up. Yeah. We saw the same thing in the United States. Why? 
Why, 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 why? And we never investigated why they didn't work. What we did hear about was noise being an issue, which yes. I think is an easy one to focus on, noise. Even in the research I'm doing now, well, it's the noise. Whether it's a group room, whether it's space outside, it's noise. I'm not so sure it's the noise as much as what we haven't capitalized on is trying to really think about how we craft those spaces, you know, those smaller mm. spaces to support small group work. Uh, the work by Gary Moore and what I'm beginning to uncover with my research um, is that when you have those more defined spaces, kids will go to them, whether they're through curated furniture or yeah. actually built built-in furniture spaces in the design, you want to, it has to be legible for people to read that. So what, while we're doing that more in these, these new schools, what we still haven't, haven't really dealt with, and even though the research has shown, has stated, you know, teachers know how to design the spaces better than the architects, that is true because teachers have to work with 30 yes. kids in the room. Um, it doesn't mean that there's a really full understanding or embracing the idea of what it means to have one of these contemporary or modern learning environments. We do here with 21st century learning, it has to be collaborative, it has to encourage critical thinking and, and, and collaboration and communication, and that's wonderful. Yep. But what does that look like in the physical environment? Nobody's made an effort to describe what it looks like. Nobody, uh, I've tried. I, Is I this do your try. next research project? This, this hopefully will be my next <laughs> research project. Um, but but it's 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 you know for 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 people who even operate in these modern learning mm -hmm. environments, and we found this in the the, the 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 two through five building. It's like I've never been in a space like this. Has a lot of these nooks and crannies, and I love that. But there's a lot of movement. How do we then create these spaces? How do we use yep. the corners? How can we use the furniture so that kids, when they get into these spaces, like Gary Moore said, can settle and focus on their activities? And how much of a role is that the teachers versus the ability for the teacher to train the students to recognize and utilize and maximize those spaces? I think it's, it's see, I don't want to put all the, the responsibility on the teachers, yes. right, in, in this res respect. is I, I just came from an ecosystem where I had four walls and a door. I understood that ecosystem. <laughs> this is great. Now, I, I, I want to teach in this place. Yes. I really want to teach in this place, and I want it to be amazing because I've heard some good things about it. I've tried in my own classroom. Some things worked, some things didn't. And now you go in a place where two classrooms are sharing uh, a space together. You know, it, it feels very linear. There's no uh, definition or division. What am I going to do? Well, instead of, you know, saying, well, you know, don't lose hope. Let's slowly work through it. Let, yes. Let's think about what are some of the things that are really key for you. Well, we have two classes together. Well, we need a big space where people can come together. How are we going to create that, right? Yeah. But at times, we need to divide the two classes up, whether it's a third and fourth grade class where you need place for third graders and for fourth graders, or if it's just two fourth grade classes, you know, sometimes the capacity for teaching, you know, 60 students may be too many. Maybe mm -hmm. we need to make it to 30. Or 15, how do we do that? So we need to start coming back to that term activity settings. How do we start breaking that classroom down in a way so it's manageable, not just for the teachers, but for the students? So we need to get into a mindset, a growth mindset yep. about, you know, we need big, but we also need small. And how are we going to do this? And how are we also going to allow for the flow, the movement, the ability for people to easily mm. move through the class 
setting, the classroom-like setting, so that they don't feel that they're, you know, you know, it's twisting and turning to get through it. So how do we make those places of destination and provide that, that you know, implied quarter in the space? So once we, we help teachers recognize that, then part of the contract that they sign with the students, whether it's something signed or yes. discussed, is like, now we will sit down and we'll talk about what will work. We're going to co-construct this environment yes. together. Now the teacher's guiding this, mm. and the students will put in their two cents, and, and this will always be the contract, so that when they say, well, you know, there's a sofa in the room, I sat on it for an hour, that's all I get, now somebody else comes back in the afternoon, and now they have the opportunity to sit on that couch. So we have to come up with rules that are useful for everybody. And it, it doesn't mean that after the first day of class, we stop. This is something that constantly has to be reinforced. And really, as the research is showing, is that this is ongoing. It doesn't mean that after the initial you know, discussion, it stops. This may go on throughout the, the entire school year, but by the end of the year, you won't, you'll forget all the effort that went into it at the beginning of the year. Yes. And you'll know this because when you start the class the next year, you'll realize, oh, my God, how did we get there? Oh, right, right. <laughs> this is right. what we did. We sat down and we talked to all the students, and that's how we arrived at this And it's those study. conversations, and I even do this up to year 12 level with, uh, if you're doing this, this is the space to go. If you're working individually, this is the space to go. And so that the students are getting taught a purpose and understanding that, because it also then just puts, you know, students segment things in their mind. Okay, I'm sitting here, it means I must be working individually. Um, and, and, you know, when you talk about that, you know, because in many ways, they, what you're really saying to them that I want you to develop a sense of self, right? Mm. Where do you work best? So we're asking them that question, but where do you work best also goes to your spatial awareness. And if you're working with more than one person, where is the best space for that? So, you know, they're learning with that that, that very, you know, uh, uh, bad way of saying it, they're learning self-awareness, social awareness, how we work yep. together, and the spatial awareness. So they're learning all these things simultaneously because even with social awareness, I'm learning about you, you're learning about me, and we're beginning to appreciate one another. So where does that happen best in an environment? Can it happen in a classroom? Yes. Can it happen outside a classroom? Yes, but we need to, to ensure, in many ways, that we understand how to set these spaces up. Because while we've talked about elementary schools, or primary schools, or if we're in Sydney, public schools, yep. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about middle school and high school, uh, I don't know what your experience has been, but my experience has been is that I was in that class at 9, and now I'm in it at 12, it looks the same way, I come back at 3 o'clock, it looks exactly the same way. Why? You know, and, and if it's all in rows and the teacher goes, well, I really would like to work more cooperatively with the kids, but I'm afraid that if I upset something, I'm going to upset a teacher or I don't have time to put yes. the furniture back. So in many respects, you know, that's when you ask, is it on the teachers? I think it's really the leadership has to guide mm -hmm. the teachers and say, this is what we'd like to accomplish. How can we do this? So the same way that we talk to students, leadership has to talk to the, the teachers and encourage them to think a little bit differently about yes. the space. And that's hard because, once again, going back to, I was great in this ecosystem of four walls. How am I going to work in a space that I'm not at the front anymore, where I can't stand in my corner and tell you what you need to know? I actually have to walk through the space and talk to students. I, I, I'm being somewhat silly, and please understand, yeah. I'm, I'm just being silly here. 
but to me it's really important yes. it, it's it's you can still have that 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 wall where stuff is on but for me the most important thing is that engaging with the students in a somewhat personal social way so that they understand that somebody cares about them yeah. and when you put a glass in a in a classroom wall to look at that space outside that room it's not because the principal is going to come around and make sure that oh you're you're on task you're doing what you're supposed to check it's really about connecting students back to teachers because I do believe that sometimes when voices get louder it's because they really want that teacher to come to them yeah. but what ends up happening in a very cluttered environment is the teacher's going will you keep it down <laughs> when reality is like if I can get to them easily yes. that's a, that's my way of saying did you really need to, to talk that way and and you, you show them that you don't have to get loud yeah. there are other ways of getting the attention from them and because it is a shift in education where um there used to be a view that a quiet classroom was an engaged classroom. And what we're learning is that engagement is about interaction and socialisation and that's what the workplace and the real world needs. And so it, as ed edu educators, we have a responsibility to build that for the students. Well, and to me, whether you're talking about a, 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 an old building built in the 1890s or in the 1960s, you can still achieve that, yeah. even if it's in a classroom space. Because what's most important, once again, if because you, you know I don't like the term innovative because it yes. reminds me of that box of toothpaste. <laughs> it's new and improved. Well, if it, it may be new, doesn't necessarily that it's you know it's better toothpaste. You yeah. know, because uh, my teeth aren't that white anymore. They used to be white before with the other one. So I'm not sure what's going on. I I, I think for me, um, it's understanding that. We're going to create these different zones. And the main thing is that if I can access students after I've given them yep. those concepts that they have to work on, then they need to work on it either together or independently. So it's like kind of like the check-in at the beginning of the class. This is what we've done. This is what we're going to talk about. This is what you're going to work on. And then if you have time at the end of the class to reconvene and talk about what did you learn? Joe, what did you tell me? Uh, uh, Kira? What did you find out about this? Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, where are you struggling? So that it becomes more personal because you find out the strengths and weaknesses of students. And then you can also, using Vygotskyan ideas, pair those weaker students with those who are stronger. Yep. But once again, you're not going to find that out at the beginning of the year. This is going to be this ongoing... Um, uh, it's a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. Throughout, not just, you know, it's not just per term throughout the year, and then every year is this new part yeah. of this journey. And I, and I think, to me, that's where, if you want to talk about new learning environments, this understanding is like, I'm not in the same classroom, I'm in different places, and more importantly, I'm with different students. Yeah. So, and what comes with that is just because you've told me, you know, he's a really great student, then when I get them and I go to you and two days later, what do you mean he's a really good student? <laughs> you know, all he does is, you know, sit and he's quiet to me. You know, where's that excitement about yes. learning? It, it, it's also making sure that the relationship that you've had with a student, it doesn't mean that I can't have the same relationship. It just means that we're building different relationships with students. Yeah. Now, now, there's a number of teachers that listen to this podcast that are either, you know, graduate or really experienced down to the other end of the spectrum. It's the start of the school year. And at the moment, the number one thing I know, certainly for primary school teachers, is thinking about how they're going to set up their new room for their new class. What are your tips and maybe fundamentals that you have come across for a really good classroom environmental setup? What, what should they be thinking about? What are those top things that you say, do this. 
Three things. Yep. Corners, activate the corners, not for you as the teacher, but for the student. Yep. And, be, and as I'm saying that, think about why you like a, to be in a corner as a teacher. And as one teacher said to me, um, I feel safe and secure in this space. Well, if you feel that way, then maybe your students might mm -hmm. feel the same way. Well, as we've already discussed, you only have about two or three corners in a room that you might be able to use. And in some cases, you might not have a corner. Yes. So then, let's think about using the furniture to create what I'll define as these activity settings. These curated space, spaces created by the furniture. Okay? Very easy to do um, in kindergarten and pre-primary. But as we move up through elementary school, think about how we can put desks together. Um, for the younger age groups, we're probably, we want to think about maybe we have areas where kids can stand. So the activity settings, when we move uh, uh, to grades two, three, four, and even in grade one, is that we're creating different zones with the different furniture, but also thinking about that maybe some kids want to stand, some kids might even want to be on the floor. Uh, and then some teacher is going to say, well, what happens when we have a test and they need a horizontal surface to write on? If we need to bring desks into the room, tr uh, I, I want to say trust me. I've been to enough <laughs> schools to know that many of those desks can be found in some storage That's area. Right. So if you need those, they can be pulled out. But the kids will find a space as oh, well. Oh, they will. And, and some like to work on their bed. Now, we can't bring a bed into the school, but mm -hmm. what things can we bring in, right? But... You know, for me, it's the choice, once again, is that we provide some areas to stand, some areas to sit. And honestly, in photographs I've taken here and photographs I've taken in schools throughout Australia uh, and some in the United States, you know, whether they're elementary school kids or they're high school kids, kids do like sitting on the floor. Mm. And when they sit on the floor, we should be very cognizant of where they're sitting. Because more often than not, you'll find them sitting on the floor with their backs against a wall because once again, it's safe. We need to, when we're creating these activity settings, make sure that these are safe spaces. As far as I'm concerned, when people talk about having access to the wall, the access to the wall is so that I can either sit at it, or maybe there's a whiteboard there that I can showcase something yep. on it, but it's really about that wall becomes that safe place for kids to, to go to. And if you think about what cooperative group uh, learning indicates, uh, the findings that groups of four work well together, if we can create those groupings of four in the space, that's that's even better. So instead of putting a bookshelf across a wall... Yeah, don't do that. Put two bookshelves in the middle of a room to if create two extra corners, Yeah, but also it leaves that wall yeah. free as well. Right, and, and make sure the bookcase isn't so high because then we don't want yes. to get into management issues either because that will always be a concern. We want to make sure that we have very good lines of sight through the space and what comes with good lines of sight after we've had utilized our corners and we created these activity settings will be the ability for you to move easily through the room as opposed to yelling at students yep. to be quiet. You can actually walk to them and talk to them and you can guide them. And as one teacher said to me, and this is a high school teacher in Sydney said to me when we set up the room with putting tables against walls, management became easier because you could actually get to every one of the students in the class. Yeah. So utilize the walls where possible, take those storage units, maybe that becomes a secondary place where you can meet with students to discuss things. So you can meet on the floor, you can meet at tables, you can stand and talk to students. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. So then, we've got our space set up, we're ready for a new school year, 
our pedagogy's got to change now because we can't just do what we've always done because we've now got a new space. What have you seen the best teachers do in these contemporary spaces? Oh, I, best teachers. I, to me, when you watch uh, a really uh, gifted teacher, best, you know, once we really embrace it, they're not just standing in one place. Yep. They're, they're, there are a number of things that characterize, for me, these teachers. Um, you know, they've got a lot of energy, they're always interested in trying something new. Mm -hmm. uh, and m once again, I'm going to focus on elementary first, and then I'll go to high school. So elementary school teachers, they come in and they're excited, and the kids feed off of that. Yep. And when they feed off of that, then learning becomes this fun, wonderful space to be in. So the best ones recognize very clearly where the kids work, what they like to do, and are open to you know, constantly evolve the room throughout the course of the year. They get to know their students. They're personalizing. They're not staying at a desk. They may have a desk in a room. Once again, I, I'm not... Do you think a, we should have teacher desks? Um, it, de it really depends. It depends. Um, you know, um, I'm not... I think you need to have a table minimally. And, you know, if the kids are really small, some teachers would like to have a chair that, you know, is, yes. you know supports them. It, it, it really depends. Um... I'm not a big fan of podiums or, or, or teacher's desks because what I want to do is take the focus away from the teacher and put it on the kids. Yeah. And if you have diverse furniture in the room, then guess what? As a teacher, if I need to do things in the room, then I will you know, find a place to do that. Um, so I lean towards not having teacher's desks, but maybe having a table that I can work at Yes, uh, that's at the proper height, especially when they're younger. As you get older to fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, you can still work in those, those, those areas. In fact, one teacher I worked with recently, she, had, she gave herself the standing table. Well, over the last few months, that, she doesn't have the standing table anymore <laughs> uh, because she's realized that the kids really gravitated to it. Yeah, so it once is. again, these really great teachers not only are evolving their rooms, but they're also recognizing, you know, what they can do to improve that learning yep. environment. So it's, it, you know, I could come into your school and we set it up and it, it, they go, oh my God, this is great, let's do it. And then I come back three months later and it's changed. And that's important because yes. what you really want the teachers and the students to do is to curate it in a way that works best for them because every year is going to be different. Yep. The dynamics will be different in the room, and really all we're trying to do is create these different zones for kids to be in. So the best teachers are open to these ideas. They're, they're not afraid of making mistakes. They're not yes. afraid of failing. And if they do fail, they're introspective about it. Um, and, and, you know, even if they, they, they are up against, uh, in their mind, a wall, they can't get cross, you know, get over that last hurdle. They don't give up. And the reason they're not giving up is because the environment, the leadership and the other teachers around them tell them, you'll work through it. You'll yes. work through it. So the best teachers are not just operating in a silo, but are constantly communicating with other teachers as well. So that's what happens in the best. Yes. So that's elementary school. The excitement, the joy of teaching is all coming out there with the students. Same thing when you get to high school. Difference with high school more than anything else is that those te these teachers, I think, generally feel that they have to lecture as opposed to, we'll do a little bit of that, yeah. but more importantly, we're learning different languages here. We're learning language about history. We're learning math, which is another language. We're learning Japanese or French or even English is a language. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, you know, so how do we you know, create those settings? So instead of creating the block corner, table again. Maybe if, we, if, it's, if it's in a regular, you know, traditional, conventional classroom from yesteryears, we put high tables at the back. 
Yep. And we put the lower tables either against the wall or include some soft furniture in there. But the soft furniture isn't there so we can say, oh, we have soft furniture in the room. It becomes a place where some kids may feel more comfortable. Yes. And you put the soft furniture at the front as one as, as a number of teachers told me, which I, I, I'm very glad they realize this, instead of putting it at the back, is that it's at the front because those kids who typically sit in that furniture want to be in that furniture. So if it's at the back, they're seen as maybe being troublesome. Yes. But if they want to be in the fr that furniture, they will be closer to that so-called front of the room. But what you're really trying to do is create this kind of amphitheater feel in the space so the kids in the back... They can always see you, yes. and you can see them, and you can have direct access to them. The ones who want to sit in the soft seating, you can sit next to them and work with them. So you're creating this different relationship with each one of the students in the room, and it's, in many ways, it's subtle, yeah. but it, 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 it manifests in a way that nobody, it is subtle because nobody notices, but you are introspective about who's sitting where, and you're helping them find those spaces to sit in. It's a common misconception of this uh, approach to learning that people think it, it's a free-for-all. It's not. A, a, a really good teacher in this setting has great accountability set up. The naughty kids are still closest to you. You're your most accessible spot. There's levels. If I've got a student working on an iPad, I just get them to airplay their iPad to the TV screen if I don't yeah. trust them. Well, then that's going to change what they're going to do on their device. Like, why, why are we trying to do the same things with a different approach? Why don't we just put into place some thoughtful ideas that will keep those accountability levels high that are quite simple to do. But as you and I said even before the podcast began, you know, there are certain things that are like 101. Yes. If you're sending a small if you're sending kids out to work in the quarter or a common learning area, we need you to be right near the classroom so I know that I can, you know, easily get out and talk to you. Yes. That's part of the rules of this. And, and I'm there's not an saying, accountability yeah. measure on when you come back, yeah. I need to see this. Yes. And what, what I've been trying to explain to people for years is that as a building has structure, you know, there's, there's the columns and there is the plumbing stacks, and there's electricity. There's all these structures or systems in the building. We have to have those same structures and systems as a teacher in the space. The only way we really get to understand how to use the space is when we have created those structures in our mind of how we want to work with the mm. students. Right, so it doesn't mean it's this modern learning isn't a free for all. I learned this in 1995, right? When, yeah. or 19, from 91 to 95, I was in a public school as a student teacher. I was originally supposed to be in the school for like three weeks. Yep, I was there for four years. Okay, <laughs> no, I loved it because it yep. was for me. This was the modern open learning environment in a classroom. Yep. Why is that your first taste of this sort of a setup? Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. I brought architecture to the class and we did those projects, but it was all very, very structured. There was a reason everything was set up in the way it was mm. set up. So very Montessorian, which talks about the prepared environment, yes. or even if you talk about Riggio Emilia, the third teacher. The third teacher only works if you know it has something. A white wall might be a place that I can lean up against, so that's helpful. But if it has a map on the wall that now I can use to study about China, or yeah. something where I, now I know where China is, that helps in my discussions. Okay, now I need to find a book. What's actually going on in this place? So the third teacher or the prepared environment is all about structuring that setting in a way so that it supports learning. And, and there are certain things you have to do first when you're teaching. You've got to put out what are the theoretical ideas. Mm -hmm. And then once you've got that 
or the students understand those concepts. And I'll use math because the teacher I work with was a brilliant math. She was a master math teacher. And, you know, you start out, well, if you have five times five, you have five groups of five. And then she'd put out the manipulatives and say, this is how we get to 25. And they could see that. But within that, there's a structure. It's not just five times five the way I learned. You're actually seeing it and you're working with it. Yes. And if there are students who are much stronger than other students in being able to explain it to them, they will then work with those students. So even within the overall structure, first we'll talk theory, then you'll work in small groups. Even within those small groups, you make sure that there's a, 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 a student with more expertise so they can guide those yeah. other students who are weaker. But then the weaker students, this is more structure, then have to present what they found out so you can find out as a teacher, what they've learned and what they haven't learned. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Pete, you, you and I could talk for hours, you yeah, know that. <laughs> um, we love it. We share a very um, common passion for learning spaces. Um, look, if people listening to this podcast want to um, engage with yourself um, or learn more, um, I suppose the best place is to head to your website. Yes. Yeah, your web address is? It's uh, places created for learning, one word, dot com. That's awesome. it. And, and what do you do? What, what could you do for schools or educators out there? Well, when I, when I work with most uh, schools, it's just helping one think about how we can open up the spaces, really not bringing in new stuff, but working with what we have. Uh, if you're designing a new school, I can help one think about um, the best way to design the school. That will support your pedagogy or your vision for your pedagogy and making sure that when you are engaged, you understand very clearly what you're getting and what you're not getting as a learning environment. So it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you thought you were going to start with a gymnasium well the budget got cut, so you're not going to get it anymore. It really means that, you know, where we place a stair, where we place uh, a complementary setting, where we, how we organize the spaces, there's a reason for everything. So really having those uh, deep level conversations so that, you know, there's no surprises when you walk in. You, yes. The last thing, the worst thing is when somebody goes, oh, this is nice. This is not what I expected. I want you to yes. know what you're getting when you're designing a space. So uh, that and always great conversation. Yes, absolutely. And if there's a teacher that's got already in a classroom that they want to reimagine or rethink, you can come and help them do stuff like that. Yes, yes, I can. Yeah. Well, Pete, your time has been, I've been so grateful for, for everything that you've done for us at Holy Cross and for sharing with us today. Um, and I think there's a lot of learning there for all of us just going into the new school year and we want to wish all of our teachers the best of luck for the year ahead. Any final tips or final words for our educators out there? They always put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> have fun. You know, enjoy it, find passion in it and, and realise that, you know, if you arrange something in a particular way and it doesn't work, you can change it. That's the beauty of having a space. If, if something doesn't work, always recognize in yourself that, that you are you know, essentially the captain of your vehicle, uh, your ship, and, and you can reroute it. Because once again, as, as, as you've heard Ryan and I've talked about, it's a journey. So enjoy the journey. You never know where it's going to take you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Pete. Um, good luck with everything, and uh, we'll Thank be in you. touch again soon. You got it. Bye-bye. If you know any awesome educators that we should have on this podcast, please reach out. Thanks for listening to the Talking About Pedagogy podcast from Holy Cross College. Be sure to find us at holycross.wa.edu.au and follow us on Twitter. Goodbye, God bless, and thank you.
for being my friends. Thank you.